This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It always concerns me a little bit when people make the Holy Spirit the more important thing. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will bring testimony of me. He will remind you of my words. The Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. But when somebody makes the Holy Spirit the main character and the main focus and and the main everything, then it's actually a violation of what Jesus said. He said the Holy Spirit's coming to testify of me. Do you feel like you have to earn God's love for you? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he reassures you to lay down the performance and striving for the Lord. God doesn't need you to perform for Him. His love for you does not change depending on your overall performance. Pastor Gary encourages you that God's love for you never changes. It stays the same all throughout your life. His love is an unconditional love that you've done nothing to earn or deserve. Embrace the love He has for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 15, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It is not always natural or convenient for us to love each other. People are different. And the differences can sometimes be the rub in a relationship. And you can look at that, those differences within a family. You can look at those differences within a church, within your office. I mean, there's constant differences. But loving each other means that we recognize that every single person is loved by God, and therefore, as I am loved by Him, I should love one another. Putting aside the differences, putting aside you know, all those things that might you know, either endear us to one another or, or cause friction with one another, put aside differences to express love for each other. May the, may the world get a glimpse of Jesus by the way that the church loves one another. Amen? Love one another. Verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Notice this, verse 16, All you Calvinists are going to love this verse. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I mean, this is a reference to God's election. It talks about how you didn't choose me, I chose you, I appointed you to go. That's that's the idea of you need to go in the world, witness, bear fruit. You need to be a part of, of the kingdom work that I called you to. Um, So, you know, this... Whenever we get into certain passages of the Scripture where it leans one way or another, then, then I'll emphasize the way that it leans. This way, 
leans in the direction of election with the, the, the idea in mind that God has chosen us. Now, you know, the Bible says that we're chosen according to his foreknowledge, so then you get into this big debate, is, does he choose us randomly or does he choose us according to how he knows we've, we're going to choose him? So, you know, you can, you can take that out in the fellowship hall and argue that and then love each other afterwards. I don't really care. You know, nevertheless, I'm thankful to know that I'm chosen, and you, if you're sitting here going, I wonder if I'm chosen. Receive him as Jesus, then you're chosen. That's how it works. You know, I wonder if I'm chosen. You know Jesus? Yes. Then you are. <laughs> Do you want to know Jesus? Yes. Then you are. Let's move on. <laughs> and this is my command. Again, he wraps up this section. This is my command. Love each other. Now, verse 18. Now he's going to go from the word love to the word hate. The word hate is going to appear seven times in the rest of this chapter. Seven times. And it is a strong word. Because when I looked up the Greek, it actually does mean detest. Now we're going from love to hate, but, he, but he's, he's painting the picture here of where you're going to experience hate. And he talks about the hatred of the world. Now, this is the world, not the world in general, but the world that doesn't believe in him. It's not that everybody's going to hate you, but the world that rejects Christ will hate you. He says it to us. Verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Okay, now, he's going to answer later why. Because as soon as you read that, at least I did, you know, when he says here, keep in mind that it hated me first. If I were one of his disciples and I'm hearing him talk to me like this, you know, in the day when he's saying all this for the first time, I'd probably be sitting there thinking to myself, and, and really, why does the world hate you? I mean, he said, if the world hates you, just keep in mind that it hated me first. Why does the world hate you, Jesus? I mean, all you've ever done is gone around healing people. You healed people. You raised a couple people from the dead. You fed thousands of people. You performed miracles. You loved people who were the most unlovely and the outcasts and the rejects of the world. Why would people hate anybody who does all those wonderful things? You're healing, you're, you're feeding, you're, you're bringing grace to people, you're, you're, you're telling a woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more, and where are your condemners? Nowhere, neither do I condemn you. You're, you're expressing grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and all of this. Why in the world would people hate you? He's going to answer it at the end, so hold on. He says in verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. You have to ask yourself, all of us do, if the world that doesn't believe in Jesus really likes me a lot, then what is my life looking like? I mean, just think that through. Jesus says, okay, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. And the reason that the world's going to hate you is because you don't belong to the world. So then you have to just logically ask yourself, well, if the world really thinks I'm dandy, then I might look a lot like them. So if there's no contrast, there won't be any hatred. But where there's a life that is contrasting the rest of the world that rejects Christ, you can have some people that just flat out don't like you. So he says, just be prepared for that. 
He says, remember, verse 20, the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. Notice that. He's basically saying if you have greater knowledge, you have greater accountability. The reason why the people of Jesus' day were accountable was because they were exposed to greater knowledge. They were exposed to a greater light. And they rejected the light and they refused the knowledge that was imparted to them with Jesus right there in their midst. And therefore, they were more accountable. In verse 23, he who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. There's your answer. Why would somebody hate Jesus? For no reason at all. They just hated him. And you might find that there are people who don't like you, and they won't even be able to tell you why they don't like you. In fact, they might even say to you, you know what, I just frankly don't like you, and I don't even know why. I just don't like you. Now, you don't have to raise your hand like, mm-hmm, that's my coworker. Yes, you're preaching about my... But there will be some people just act like that. They, you haven't done anything, but they just won't like you. You know why? Because they can see Jesus in you. And if they don't love Jesus, they're not going to like you. And yet they won't even be able to put their finger on why it is they don't like you. It's just that you exude the presence of the, of the Lord, and therefore there's something about you that rubs them the wrong way, and now they just don't like you. So Jesus' final instruction here, these are his parting words that he gives to his disciples, important for us to understand as well. First thing he says here is, love others if I, as I have loved you. That's what we've just talked about. And then he moves in here and he says, and expect to be hated as I was hated. It's just going to be that way. You're going to be hated. You're going to be disliked. Accept it. In some ways, and I don't mean this to sound like, you know, we're all martyrs, but you you have to embrace that at some point. If you're more concerned about what other people think than you are about pleasing the Lord and what he thinks, you're never going to be a disciple of Christ. There's just no way to be a man pleaser and a God pleaser at the same time. So if you're really more concerned about everybody liking you, you're going to end up looking just like everybody else and very little like Jesus. Now, that isn't to say that we're to be abrasive and unkind and in your face and, you know, choke them with a Bible, you know, because that, that wasn't the way Jesus was. But we're to be like Jesus. We're to stand for truth and we're to love people. Stand for truth and love people. And Jesus said, expect that you will be hated. And then he says here, verse 26, when the counselor comes, capital C, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. It's number three on the list. His parting words. He says, testify of me. Tell other people about me. Let other people know about your faith in Christ. Look for open doors for the simplest ways to just mention Christ. 
It doesn't always have to be the four spiritual laws and close the deal and get them saved on their knees. That's not the goal. That might be what happens, and that's wonderful. But it's the idea of constantly just give testimony to Jesus. Constantly look for opportunities. Just a little drop this, drop here, drop a word there. Just season with salt, right? We are to be salt in the world. I like salt, all right? In fact, I prefer salt even over sugar. So, you know, I'm like a potato chip nut. I just love potato chips, salty foods. I just like salt, all right? I should have been a deer. Um, Just a big salt lick in the forest somewhere. You know, there I would be. (laughs) But, um, but... As much as I like salt, you put too much salt on something, it, it's, it's inedible now, and, and it's disgusting. So we're to be salt in the world, and you're not to dump a boatload of salt, you're just to sprinkle it. Just season it. As you go about your business, where you work, and, and the influence of your family, wherever God has you, just season, just salt here and there. Just drop the name of Jesus every once in a while. Just, you know, just have your Bible on your desk every once in a while. Just season it with salt. And let the world hear a testimony about Jesus as you go about what you do. Chapter 16 gets even more severe here. He's going to go from, listen, they're going to hate you. It's going to get even worse. Chapter 16, verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. The Greek word is skandalizo. We get our English word to scandalize. At King James Bible, I think it says that you wouldn't be offended. You know, I've told you all these things in advance. So you won't go astray. Because check it out. If the disciples had not been prepared for what's going to go down. And what's going to go down is when Jesus is crucified, the Romans are going to come, arrest Jesus, and then all the disciples are going to flee in fear. And then they'd just be in a corner somewhere in a fetal position wringing their hands if it weren't for the fact that Jesus in advance is telling them this, because I want to warn you. I want to tell you in advance so that you know some of these things are going to come so that when they come, they won't scandalize you. It won't offend you to the point where you're going to just fall away from me. I want you to be prepared. This is the reality of what is coming. And friends, in America, we've had it comfortable for too long. And it's coming. And everybody, and I hear once in a while people say, you know what? I love the book of Acts. I want to be the, I want to be like the first century church. Really? First century church, I do too. I mean, the miracles and the Holy Spirit and the whole deal. But, but they were killed too. They were martyred for their faith. And there's been an, an, an ongoing martyrdom of the, of the church of Jesus Christ since the church was birthed in the first century. And more have died in the last century than the previous 20 combined. And it's coming. And Jesus said, I've told you these things so you, you won't go astray. He says, they will put you, verse 2, out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Is that not what is happening now? Now, I will admit it's not the God of the Bible, but ISIS is killing people in the name of Allah, their supreme God. And they are thinking they're doing God a service. The time is coming. When anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. There there was no reason to get you all alarmed because I was with you, but I'm going to go away. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to send back to heaven. And when I leave, there's going to be a mess. 
then you need to be prepared for it. So number four, he, he warns us to expect persecution. Now, there's obvious levels of persecution. What was it, 21 Coptic Christians on the beach of Libya back in February, and then another 30 Ethiopian Christians beheading them on the same beach in Libya. And, and, it, and it, you know, it's all over the press and stuff. And, and, here, and here we have these, these, these just people who are just demonized doing these horrible things. Why? Just because they're Christians. We're going to cut off your heads just because you're a follower of Christ. It's happening in our world. I pray it doesn't happen here. We, we see it happen in, you know, small pieces here and there with what they say are lone rogue terrorists. Of course, you know, the 9-11 can't be attributed to terrorists who were just targeting Christians in general. They were targeting more American, I suppose, capitalism. But, but more and more, terrorism around the world is targeting Christians just because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And if it comes to your doorstep or my doorstep, will we be willing to say, okay, Lord, this is the very thing you said would happen in John 16. And as they persecuted you and the prophets before me, so they're persecuting me. But I wear it as a badge of honor, Lord. I'm coming home. Maybe it's a little too far removed for us to think that it's reality. I pray it doesn't come before the Lord Jesus. I would just assume, because, you know, it's not that I'm a pre-trib position because I want to get raptured before all the tribulation, but I just want to get raptured before all the tribulation. (laughs) But I honestly believe that's the biblical, you know, that that's the best uh, biblical position that Jesus is going to come before the tribulation. But he's going to come before the tribulation, capital T. There's been always tribulation small t around the world. You know, the church in World War II, they had panzer tanks pulling up to the front of their churches, and everybody thought that Hitler was the Antichrist, and Mussolini was was the false prophet, and that the world was coming to an end. There's been tribulation, always in history. There's going to be a great tribulation period. For which I believe, from which I believe that we are rescued. But what kind of tribulation small t might we have to go through until capital T tribulation? So this is a reality that we need to consider. Verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Notice again the personal pronouns him. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we, when we focused on the, the whole idea of the Holy Spirit being a, the third part of the Trinity, a part of the, the Godhead, not to be referred to as an it, like the Holy Spirit is just this you know, mystical it. No, this... Jesus uses personal pronouns to describe him. I will send him to you, the counselor of the Holy Spirit. When he, verse 8, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world, that's a reference to Satan, now stands condemned. 
He's not powerless, but he's defeated. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. So the last thing on the list for tonight, at least, is rely on the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gets through saying all this. He says, all right, I've loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now take the love that I've given you, and I want you to love everybody else the way I've loved you. And then he says, but by the way, those who reject me are also going to reject you. The world that doesn't believe in me will also not believe you and hate you as well. That's okay. Testify of me. I've told you this in advance so you won't be alarmed and caught off guard. Testify of me. But by the way, when you testify of me, you're going to be persecuted. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. But just be aware that through all of this, I'm giving you the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will come to be with you. My presence. I will not leave you as orphans. But because I go away, the counselor will come. The Holy Spirit, that third part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God revealed in three persons. He says that Holy Spirit, the counselor, that part of the Godhead will come and be with you so that the church of Jesus Christ will be strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit in us, around us, through us. Rely on the Holy Spirit. He says basically there in that passage, the Holy Spirit will do three things. Bring conviction, because he says there in verse 8 that he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. The Holy Spirit also gives direction, because in verse 13 it talks about how, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He brings direction in our lives. And then finally, the Holy Spirit brings revelation. Now, not new revelation, but the revelation of Jesus Christ as he has given it to us because there in verses, uh, the last part of 13 through 15, he talks about how he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, Jesus says, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Have you ever gone through the Bible and you've read the words of Jesus and you'd be like, I'm not sure what that means. And then, and then all of a sudden you circle back and read it again. You're like, oh, a light goes off. That's the Holy Spirit who's bearing witness with your spirit to testify of what Jesus said. And the Holy Spirit will always bring glory to Jesus. It always concerns me a little bit when people make the Holy Spirit the more important thing. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will bring testimony of me. He will remind you of my words. The Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. But when somebody makes the Holy Spirit the main character and the main focus and and the main everything then it's actually a violation of what Jesus said. He said, the Holy Spirit's coming to testify of me. So the Holy Spirit should always point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit should always make us move more towards Jesus. The Holy Spirit should always make us more in love with Jesus. And the benefit of the work of the Spirit is working in us and through us and being with us to guide us, guard us, direct us, convict us. That's a good thing. Don't despise conviction. God's given us His Spirit to bring conviction to our hearts so we might stay in right fellowship with Him and repent 
and get right with it. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know